I care so deeply about the future. And when I look around today, I just see systems failing left and right, whether it's like assaults on what truth means to like very monopolistic practices and anti-competitive markets uh, to our planet, which is totally on fire. And uh, success for me is feeling like at some point I've made a tiny dent in some of these very thorny global problems. Hi, and welcome to the Sliced Podcast, where we share startup stories from founders, investors, and CEOs from across the globe. A little bit about our platform, Startup Blog Post, is that we're a community where aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital ecosystem stakeholders can share meaningful insights, engage with colleagues and peers, and stay informed. Hi, and welcome back to the Sliced Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ahrens. Today's guest is Max Elder, co-founder and CEO of Nowadays. Nowadays is a plant-based meat that's guilt-free and healthy for both you and the planet. Max has experience consulting across the global food chain. Hi, Max. How are you? Hey, Emily. I am doing well. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Yes, we were just saying off air that food people are the most fun people, and I feel confident bringing that on air. (laughs) Yes, we are the most fun, especially folks in the plant-based meat world. Yes. Well, let's get into it, and let's find out how you got into the plant-based meat world. So you grew up in Massachusetts, is that correct? Hard state to say, Massachusetts. Hard state to spell. That's right. I'm a New Englander at heart. My mom is from Maine, so I'm by proxy a New Englander as well, kind of. We love it. I, you know, I I grew up in Massachusetts and my first job, I have to admit, was uh, working on a lobster boat. So I, uh, I feel the main camaraderie with the hard work of coastal, uh, coastal fishing. Uh, we used to go for Christmas for a couple of years, and we would go down by the wharf. Is that the right word? Yeah, and sounds right. Look at the boats. I've been on a boat before. I've never worked the boat, <laughs> but it's not an envious job, and I'm so glad I don't do it anymore. So yeah, so that's yourself nice. So then, you looks like you have a degree in physiology. Close uh, philosophy. Philosophy. That's my fault. Philosophy. I studied philosophy. I studied ethics. uh, And actually, it's how I started doing all this work. I went to college and got a degree, spent a year at Oxford University in the UK uh, studying ethics. And when I left there when I was 21, I was invited to join uh, as a fellow at a think tank over there called the Oxford Center for Animal Ethics. And I've been a fellow there for the past decade where I've done uh, academic work on sustainable food systems and animal agriculture. Why do you think you were interested in ethics at such a you know, young age, like that college age? Oh, gosh. You know, to be honest, I think it was the answer is going to be a boring one. I think it was just for my parents. My, okay. uh, my father is an environmentalist and my mother was a juvenile court judge. Both were... Uh, very into having a positive impact on whatever you work on. And I was in college and wondering, how do you uh, live a good life? What does that mean? And uh, how do you think through where to spend and prioritize your time? And I thought, gosh, ethical frameworks are really helpful for that. So maybe I should study them and figure out uh, how I should dedicate my life. And turns out 
I love ethics and I love applied ethics. And if you want to have a positive impact, for me at least, I realized I need to work in sustainable food. That's so neat. But you didn't go right into sustainable food. Is that correct? So what did you do post-grad? Yeah, when I graduated college, I did what I thought everyone does when they go to a small liberal arts school and get a degree in philosophy. I moved to Brooklyn (laughs) and I tried to figure it out. I ended up getting a job at a philanthropy foundation. I love systems thinking and systems design and thought, gosh, philanthropy is so cool. Deploy capital strategically to find solutions to big thorny problems that perhaps don't have a market based solution yet. Um, And I did that for five years. Okay. And while I was in New York City doing that, I spent about a year on my nights and weekends trying to start a cultured seafood company. So using synthetic biology to create uh, animal muscle outside of animal bodies. I did that and uh, decided a couple of things while I was doing that. One was that I didn't want to start a cultured meat company, um, which we can talk about more. (laughs) Two was that I got much more excited about plant proteins as very scalable solutions to some of the problems that I was focused on. And three was that I needed some experience in the food industry in order to start a food company. Right. So after five years in New York, I got a job out in California at a place called the Institute for the Future, which is a hybrid think tank slash creative consultancy. It's actually a spinoff of the Rand Corporation in the late 60s. And they do a bunch of independent research and consulting on the future. So I was a food futurist there for four years. That sounds and like that's when I got job. to do... A lot of the consulting work uh, across the global food value chain with different seed companies, ingredient companies, food packaging companies, CPGs, foundations with the nutrition or ag focus and, and more. That is so neat. And I have, a, I have a list of some of those organizations that you were advising for. So I have a question. So let's say you go to Hershey is on this list. OK, so you're at Hershey. And then, like, what would you be advising them on? Just ways to be more sustainable or were you giving them I mean, what were you telling them? Gosh, a whole range of things based on what the company is and what their priorities are. We would do everything from building internal capacity for strategy work, um, which was most of our work with Hershey's. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, hired me to develop an engagement plan for the private sector to help private sector food companies develop more affordable, accessible, appealing, and nutritious foods for lower income communities around the world. The United States Department of Agriculture's Dairy Checkoff Program hired me to spend a year across the domestic dairy value chain in the United States to develop a 10-year strategic plan for how to make the dairy industry more sustainable, innovative, relevant to consumer needs. These were like sort of big systems-level strategy and innovation projects. Okay, nice. And then I also have a question that's personal. But did you grow up vegan or did you make the switch later in life? (laughs) No, I did not. I'm not one of those like very, very few folks in the world who grew up vegan. I, uh, uh, like I mentioned, I worked on a lobster boat when I was younger and um, I stopped eating uh, meat when I turned 18 uh, and actually my freshman year in college from a philosophy course. In fact, I was going to say, I feel like that's a tough time when I think back on my college career, like I was going to what's it called? Not the food hall, but the cafeteria. Like, that's be a tough time, you know, because you're just like eating whatever they serve you on the plastic platter. Yeah, yeah. It was surprisingly easy for me. I was fortunate enough to go to a school that offered a lot of vegetarian and vegan options. Um, but to be honest, it was actually the ultimate justification for me. And the rationale was that I took an intro to logic class my freshman year in college. And one of the assignments was that everyone went home and read a bunch of arguments 
and we had to break them down symbolically and figure out whether they were sound arguments and whether they were valid arguments. And uh, one of the arguments was an argument, uh, a case against eating animals. Oh, and, I, yeah. and I went home for homework and I read the argument and I broke it out to see first, is that like a valid structure? Okay, it's valid. Um, is it sound? Are these premises true? And I scratched my head and thought, oh God, uh, I think <laughs> these are all true. And I went into class the next day and I sat around and we all talked through all the arguments and everyone in the room was trying to argue against the anti-meat eating argument. They were trying to justify their own behaviors with what I thought of as like total fallacies. People were making the silliest arguments. And I sat there around the room and thought, oh my God, of course we can't think straight about this. We, we all eat animals uh, right. and, and, and all these arguments don't make any sense to me. So uh, if I wanna be true to this system and I actually believe that you know logic is important in life, logically I'm kind of committed to a new diet and, um, and I haven't changed since. Wow, that's really neat. Good for you. That's that's awesome. Well, it's no, I mean, I appreciate it. I think there's no, I, I get concerned about the sort of virtue signaling and the moral high ground. I think like everyone's on their own journey. It's very complicated. Uh, and there's a lot of social containers for uh, omnivore diets. So yeah. we, restaurants and classic menus and our, 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 you know, family histories and recipe books are all very much grounded in a diet that makes it very hard to not eat animal products and, and not eat animals. So, um, so I'm happy that I'm on this journey and I'm happy about creating a company that makes it easier to have healthy, nutritious, delicious options so that people can make the shift if they, if they so choose. Yeah. So back when I think you said it was when you were in Brooklyn, you were doing the nights and weekends working on kind of a first product iteration. So when did you kind of dive back in and say, okay, I'm going to start this company. Was it years later? And then kind of how did you restart? It was years later, Emily. And to be honest, it was actually because of the pandemic. So nowadays as a company is a pandemic baby. Uh, okay. We were born, we were born during the pandemic. And this was a time where I was living in San Francisco. I was consulting for a lot of companies doing a lot of like media interviews on the future of food. I was a food futurist mm -hmm. and the pandemic hit. And every single person under the sun came and said, Max, what's the future of food in this pandemic? And I sat around and looked at this, this whole ecosystem and this crisis and thought, well, when you look at the UN's report on the top seven drivers of global pandemics, number one is an increased demand for animal-based protein around the world. And number two is an increased intensification of, of agriculture across around the world. When you look at where these zoonotic diseases can jump between species to humans, uh, gosh, it seems like the pandemic, uh, the, the, this pandemic started from a food market, uh, from a food choice. Uh, and I started seeing all of this, uh, these problems as really symptoms of a broken food system. And I got increasingly infuriated because no one wanted to hear that. No one wanted to talk about food systems uh, people all wanted, everyone wanted to talk about symptoms. They wanted to talk about um, globalization. They wanted to talk about our healthcare system. They wanted to talk about eating better to try to stave off potential negative impacts of, of getting COVID. They wanted to talk about all of these other things that don't, that, that none, none of which address sort of the root cause of why we're in these crises around the world in the first place. And then I stepped back and realized, oh my God, this is not just true of the pandemic. This is true of our climate crisis. This is true of, of public health. 
no matter what string you want to pull in our food system, and particularly when you look at animal agriculture, labor and beyond, um, there are massive problems that we're just ignoring to our own peril. So uh, I decided that I wanted, it was time to start a, a company that tried to address these problems. And uh, I met my co-founder in San Francisco around the same exact time, and we decided to start Nowadays together. That's so neat. And so you had never started a company before, is that right? So first-time founder, had your co-founder started a company before? He had. So my co-founder is named Dominic Rabinsky. He is a, um, he's a fantastic human being, and he's got 30 years of experience working for big uh, food companies, multinationals like Cargill and like DSM. Um, and he's started a company in Europe. He's actually started two companies in the past. So he was the perfect yin to my yang. Right. Uh, he's, uh, he has a bunch of experience and a great relationships with big food companies. My background was in strategy and innovation and alternative proteins. I knew everyone in the alternative protein world. I knew all the investors and the startups and technologies. And he knew how to make big food and work at that sort of like industrial, national and multinational scale. Were you nervous to make the jump into entrepreneurship, having not done it before? Oh, God, Emily, it's it's so nerve wracking um, to me, though. I got to a place in my life where I wasn't nervous about jumping into entrepreneurship because it was not a jump that I wanted to do. It was a jump that I needed to do. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't imagine, and I still can't imagine anything else in the world that I could be doing right now that I think has a bigger potential for positive impact than what I'm doing right now. And if there's something else that comes up, like I just want to spend my life and all of my waking time trying to leave a positive impact. And uh, yeah, to me, like all the other risks are nominal. They're there. That's table stakes. Um, the real risk is not doing something like this. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. So pandemic baby then. So how, so a year old ish, year and a half? Yes. We, we incorporated as a public benefit corporation on August 25th of okay. 2020. So we just celebrated our one year birthday back in August. <laughs> That's great. So nowadays is just nuggets or do you have, okay, so just nuggets and why, nowadays, and why the nugget? Yeah. Okay. So nowadays is a plant-based meat company. We make clean label plant-based meats with only a few simple ingredients and unparalleled nutritional profiles. So we're convinced that the future of this space is uh, one where consumers get more nutritious meat products. And so we've launched with a nugget first. We have a couple of other products that we're launching. In fact, uh, in January, we have a new product we're very excited about that we're launching with a restaurant in New York City that was just voted one of the 40 best new restaurants uh, by Esquire uh, last week. And so we are very excited about the diversity of chicken products that we have in our pipeline that we're launching in the next four or five months. Um, but we launched with a nugget because we want to take food product categories that are filled with a laundry list of bad ingredients and very poor nutritional profiles and reformulate them to actually be good for both people and the planet. And so a nugget is sort of the category par excellence of processed junk food that everyone loves. Yeah. Uh, people love nuggets despite what they are, not because of what they are. 
No, very few people feel proud about putting nuggets on their kids' plate for dinner. It's like a cheat day kind of meal. Um, and we're obsessed with them. It, like there's a nugget TikTok. Like it's <laughs> captured the consumer zeitgeist in such an American way that we thought it was the perfect product category to start with. But nowadays is really a technology company. We have a novel and proprietary approach to manufacturing and actually creating this plant-based meat. And that's more of a tech platform. So we can create all different shapes and sizes of what's most important is whole cuts. So we don't take a bunch of ingredients and bind them together in molds to create cookie cutter sort of finished products. We create whole cuts of plant-based meat first with peas, with pea protein. And then we finish those into products like nuggets and tenders and fillets and beyond. Hi everyone, it's Sam. If you're interested in investing, you should check out our second show, Portfolio Pitch. We sit down and chat with investors to get to know the people behind the investments. Go give it a listen on your favorite podcasting platform and let us know what you think by giving it a review. Up next, Max and Emily chat about his future aspirations for both himself and the planet, the flexitarian trend among consumers, his founder journey, and the obstacles nowadays has faced on the way. I am curious, which I think you kind of just explained, but in your mind, what would you say is the biggest differentiator between nowadays and like an impossible meat or like, you know, the big, the big names? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a couple of things. I think first, when we think about differentiation and the competitive landscape, we're not competing with plant-based chicken companies. We're competing with chickens where we're focused on the animal-based uh, products in grocery store shelves. Mm -hmm. That's who we're really focused on competing with. That said, when we think about the landscape of alternative protein products on the market, we differentiate ourselves in a couple of ways. One is we have the simplest ingredient list and the best nutritional profile of any of those products on the market. So we're coming out not just with claims like 25% less saturated fat. We don't think that that's good enough of a value proposition to a consumer who's looking for a healthier meal. So we are really focused on unparalleled nutritionals and a clean and simple ingredient list that you and your kids can pronounce. So mm -hmm. everything that's in our products are simple, wholesome, and translate to something that's actually nutritious, number one. Uh, number two is that um, we don't use any soy products. We are soy-free, um, which for various reasons, one of which I think is that just consumers are falling out of love with soy. And so we're very excited and very happy about the pea products that we use, our, our, our yellow pea protein which is all farmed uh, in the United States. Um, and then I think last but not least, we just have a very different value proposition. The big companies, the Beyond Meats of the world, that Beyond Meat wants to make meat more humane. Uh, Ethan Brown is really focused on getting animals out of food supply chains. And so that's the value proposition. This, is, this, is, this comes from plants, it doesn't come from animals. Pat Brown at Impossible is a sustainability advocate. He wants to make meat uh, more sustainable. And so that's their value proposition. He's like, we're using GMOs, we're using cheap GMO soy. We're using synthetic biology to synthesize like a hemoglobin in a lab so that we can add what the FDA regulates as the color red um, or what they like to position as, as blood. Um, and the value prop is like, this is more sustainable. Uh, and so buy more sustainable meat. And nowadays we're convinced that the growing rise of flexitarians are not as interested in humane meat or sustainable meat. They're interested in healthier meat. And so and nowadays we create products and we have a brand that really speaks to that value proposition. It's wholesome and nutritious. That's awesome. You mentioned flexitarian. So would that be people kind of who dabble with like 
couple days they'll do plant-based, a couple days, things like that. So I'm curious your thoughts, and maybe it's tied to the pandemic, maybe it's not. But I feel like, even in my own circle, I've noticed a change in some of my friends' behavior as far as, like, what they'll choose to eat. Could you speak to that trend that we're kind of seeing? I mean, even with all the companies we just name-dropped, like, those didn't exist five years ago, right? So kind of what are your thoughts on the trends we've seen emerging, and why are people jumping on board now? Yeah, I'm every day so optimistic and enthusiastic about the future, primarily because of this meteoric shift in this modern discerning consumer, this new eater. Uh, In America especially, um, uh, more and more people are identifying or eating as flexitarian. And that means occasionally reducing or swapping out an animal-based product. Right, uh, like a meatless Monday. Meatless Monday is a perfect example. Yeah. Uh, Mark Bittman has famously promoted, you know, be vegan before six. And then there are all kinds of ways mm-hmm. in which people can be more flexible with their diets. My, my friend Brian Cateman has coined the term reducitarian, which I really love. The Reducitarian Foundation focuses on creating a new food identity. That's not just about a kind of occasionally flexing, but really intentionally reducing our consumption without being total. So you don't have to be a vegetarian, but you can actively look to try to eat less meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I love that. I'm super optimistic about it. And I think the, there are many reasons for it. Uh, you know, we are dealing with, uh, when you look at the meat industry, we're dealing with a plethora of problems. People know that animal agriculture and related land use is one of the major drivers of, of, uh, GHG emissions globally, depending on who you ask, it's somewhere between 15 and 25%, uh, globally massive. Um, people are increasingly waking up to the horrible abuses of how we industrially farm animals. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. you've been to a a, a big uh, concentrated animal feeding operation or a feedlot or has seen sort of industrial broiler chickens be farmed. But when people see the conditions on these farms, they can't help but um, feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And people are increasingly realizing that there are. Um, not as many health benefits as we once thought. Americans are protein gluttons. Uh, We consume on average across sexes and age groups about twice as much protein as the USDA recommends. We consume too much of it. And um, there are negative health consequences, certainly of processed red meats and beyond. Um, People are experiencing massive amounts of issues with cholesterol, for example. Mm -hmm. So I think across health, sustainability, and welfare, there's this new recognition and understanding that we need to reduce our consumption of animal-based products. And what better way of doing it than swapping those out for a delicious, wholesome, plant-based alternative? Love it. And I will regret, maybe we can put it in in post, but I, I read this article recently, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, mentioning the people feeling guilty and lobster. I believe, or you do know what I'm talking about, there was like an article that came out, octopus, lobster, and maybe something else in the UK. They did the a study. They, yeah, because they can feel pain, which is terrible. Yes. yes. Well, it turns out... N- they can feel pain, as can chickens, pigs, cows, I know. lambs. Uh, and so the real question then on us is, how do we justify our actions? And particularly in the United States and around the world, as we increase the intensification of our forms of production for these animals, these farms are no longer the, far- the bucolic farms we have in our minds or honestly on the covers of some of these products. Right. It's not a rolling green hill with a red barn. No, um, no it's these not. Are, these are um, industrial systems that are massively externalizing costs, both to the planet and on animal bodies. 
in really horrible conditions. And I, and I, Emily, just believe that more and more consumers are beginning to realize that and more and more consumers are beginning to feel uncomfortable with it. So the challenge though, is it's very hard to change if there aren't better options for people. Right. And so that's why we're so excited about all the innovation in the alternative protein sector today. We're all working towards a future where alternative proteins are no longer considered alternatives. And in order to do that, we need to have more products that taste better, that are healthier, and that are more affordable, accessible, and appealing for consumers. Then when there are options, when there are options at the grocery store, on restaurant menus, in your family cookbooks, uh, in your potlucks on Tuesday nights, it's much easier to shift diets Mm -hmm. towards towards diets that are much more healthy, humane, and sustainable. For sure. And I kind of want to piggyback off of this into your experience fundraising. I'm curious how that's been conveying this to investors. Do they see what you see? Is it been hard to change the hearts and minds of like, you know, you and I get it, but is it been hard to fundraise and get people on board with what you're doing? We've been very lucky uh, because we've been able to fundraise very successfully. And I think that's partially a product of um, our team and technology and the products that we have that investors have tasted. Um, but I also think that, you know, there's a lot of investment capital around the world today and they're increasingly folks are recognizing that in order to get the returns that they're looking for, they need to invest in companies that are going to have a positive impact. Mm-hmm. And that makes companies like nowadays very attractive to investors. And we have had, yeah, just immense luck, I think with folks realizing that what we're doing is very differentiated across the landscape, both in terms of our production technologies and our ability to really scale quickly and cheaply, but also just creating a a diversity of products that truly speak to the flexitarian consumer. When asked over and over again in the United States, flexitarians say their primary motivation for occasionally swapping out an animal-based product is health. Mm -hmm. And when you look across the landscape of products in the market, they're not always they're marginally healthier, but it's a small margin. And we're convinced it's not enough to really reach mass adoption. Alternative proteins in the United States still account for about only one and a half to 2% of the meat market. To me, that's a rounding error. It's decimal dust. Mm-hmm. It's, it's failure. Um, it, it, it's not going to move the needle enough on the timeline that we need. So the investment community, I think, realizes that and is excited about um, supporting companies who have a very novel technology and a um, very differentiated product portfolio. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. And you mentioned, well, I mentioned, I guess, a little bit earlier, um, kind of your journey up into this point and why you feel like you're you don't you didn't necessarily want to do this, but you need to do it. And I think we all know the entrepreneur journey is not always sunshine and rainbows. So if you could speak to just one obstacle that you've encountered and how you ultimately overcame it. Um, that'd be great. Yeah. What a good question. I mean, the entrepreneurial journey is one of uh, running through brick walls every day. Uh, it's, it's certainly the most, both the most amazing job in the world and one of the worst jobs in the world, I, I think. And uh, for a high growth company that's venture backed obstacles kind of are the name of the game. Right. So, We've, uh, Emily, we've run, uh, we run into obstacles every day. Uh, in the United States right now, there's massive supply chain issues. You probably know all this. Uh, distribution channels are disrupted. There's been a huge drought in the United States that's really impacted 
plant-based proteins, pea protein prices are increasing significantly because our climate crisis is just radically rewriting how agricultural commodities are produced around the world. Um, so costs are going up everywhere. There's a massive labor shortage from the pandemic that is significantly hitting not just restaurants, um, not just grocery stores. I don't know about you, but the grocery store line uh, yesterday for me in San Francisco was very long. I talked to the cashier about it and she said, we normally have this whole aisle of cashiers full. There are only two cashiers here today. It's because we can't hire enough people. Yeah. So that labor shortage is causing massive ripple effects across food production and manufacturing. So it's very hard to find um, co-manufacturers to make our products because they, we're talking to co-manufacturers who say we hire people and they don't show up on the first day. Hmm. So literally, Emily, I think kind of across <laughs> the board, my job is not finding solutions every day. It's solving problems every day. Yeah. And I think the key to being, this is why I think a lot of folks say that the one of the core characteristics of a good entrepreneur is grit. You really need to be able to just uh, overcome lots of barriers that are thrown at you minute by minute. Yeah. Well, I guess grit being one, but is there another piece of advice you would have for somebody who's maybe just getting started? Hmm. Well, maybe my one piece of advice is to not take uh, trite pieces of advice from folks like me because <laughs> uh, 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 people think that they, people are biased and think they know more than they do. And I certainly know that all I know is I know nothing, but, um, but the, the few things that I think have been immensely valuable for me personally, starting nowadays, one has been that um, relationships really mean everything. Uh, relationships are how the world spins. It is how job get, jobs get done. Um, and it is much easier instead of uh, trying to solve problems, being able to call someone up who can solve it for you or call someone up who's dealt with the same problems before. And so relationships are very important and they don't always, um, they don't always kind of have their benefits manifested immediately. So it's very important to invest in people, to treat them well. And I, I deeply believe that, uh, you know, good things come to those who wait and good things come to those who are good to others. So being a good person and having good relationships really, really, really helps. That's a great piece of advice. Just be a good person. Be a good person. The rest will, the rest will fall into place. And if you're a bad person, it comes around to bite you. Yeah. Uh, maybe not now, but it will. Later. <laughs> so when you look ahead to the future, five, 10 years, where do you see nowadays? What's your goal? In five to 10 years, the goal is that nowadays first really revolutionizes the way that plant-based meat is manufactured around the world. And that nowadays is a brand that is part of the regular meal rotation for eaters, not just in, in the United States, but everywhere. Uh, so we want nowadays to really be able to scale plant-based meats to be cost competitive with commodity prices of animal-based uh, products. And we want nowadays to be in the hearts and minds of consumers everywhere and be the go-to brand to, of plant-based products, at least that is seen as healthy, humane, and sustainable. Mm -hmm. And then for you personally, you know, even outside of nowadays or including, what is your definition of success? Right now, my definition of success is a few more hours of sleep every night. That's a big success for <laughs> That's me. That's a great answer. <laughs> uh, maybe the other piece of advice is sleep. Um, but, but more so than that, I think uh, I care so deeply about the future. And when I look around today, I just see systems failing left and right, whether it's like 
assaults on what truth means to like very monopolistic practices and anti-competitive markets uh, to our planet, which is totally on fire. And uh, success for me is feeling like at some point I've made a tiny dent in some of these very thorny global problems. And if I feel, if I feel okay in five or 10 years that I've done something and maybe not even done it, I, I think I'm open to failure. I just want to know that I tried and then I tried every day. Mm-hmm. And if I know that every day I, I didn't sleep as much as I could have, but I lost that sleep to try to solve some of these problems, I, I think I will be satisfied. That's all you can do. You know, that's right. That's awesome. Well, where can our listeners find nowadays? Like what kind of stores are you in? Like, okay. So listeners, states? yeah, listeners can find nowadays right now on www.eatnowadays.com. Okay. So we're, a, we're a direct and consumer business right now. You can place an order online. We ship our products directly to your door. We're also scaling into restaurants right now. So we're, right. if you're in New York City or LA, we're in restaurants uh, and we'll be prioritizing that food service channel in 2022. So we'll be on more and more restaurants uh, throughout next year and beyond. The best way to follow us is on Instagram. All of our handles are eat nowadays uh, for all social platforms. And, um, and last but not least, I think beyond nowadays, I'm just so passionate about all eaters finding other alternatives to animal-based products. And if nowadays isn't available wherever you are, listener, uh, there are plethora of other delicious products out there. So maybe in addition to looking for us, like we're part of this puzzle, but we're not the only piece. And we're so right now uh, deeply indebted to a lot of the other companies who are uh, doing amazing things. So go try some other plant-based meat too. That's great. Well, I look forward to trying a nowadays. That'd be so fun to sit down at a restaurant and have somebody serve you your own nugget or patty <laughs> or tender. Yes. That's awesome. I look Soon forward enough. to trying some. And Emily, they're available in Denver, so we'll we'll ship you some. Really? Oh my gosh, Sam is she's ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> Our resident pescatarian's life is made. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, thanks again. Anything else you want to say before I let you go? No, Emily, I'm such a huge fan. Thanks so much oh. for this edition. It's been a blast. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate anyone who wants to spend time thinking about making a more healthy, humane, and sustainable future. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Sliced Podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.